Welcome. You are listening to Intentional Conversations from Nika White Consulting, an encore presentation of our weekly podcast where we intersect diversity, equity, and inclusion with leadership and business. Let the conversation begin. Now, it's time for me to provide the formal introduction of our guest co-host today. And you all know that my routine is to read official bio because I think it's important for all of us to know the accolades, the credentials, how in which our guest co-hosts show up to this conversation and why they were selected and chosen to be a part of this podcast community. So I am happy to introduce my friends, Jessica Farm. Jessica Farm is a free-thinking HR professional with a background in employee relations, recruitment, training, and employment law, as well as policies. She believes in advocating for and assisting Black professionals as they struggle to navigate the complicated and stressful corporate America world. In 2020, she founded Blackness and The Workplace, whose mission is to empower Black professionals by providing resources, guidance, and support with a safe space to be able to speak truth to power about the uniqueness of our shared experiences and identities. Jessica aims to elevate the conversation around Black professionals by centering and valuing our experiences in a safe and protected space. She has joined us this morning from Seattle, so it's incredibly early for her. So I want you all to do me a favor and help her to feel incredibly welcomed for sharing her time, talent, and treasures with us today. Go pull those emojis, find those reactions, whatever kind of affirmations you can, place them into the chat and help me to welcome Jessica Farm as our guest co-host of today's Intentional Conversations. Welcome, Jessica. So glad you're here. Thank you so much for saying yes to our invitation and for getting up super early to spend time with us. We are really grateful. I want to give you a chance to greet this audience in your own way. Now, I will tell you that one of the things we often like to hear from our guest co-host or maybe some additional tidbits of insight that perhaps we would not know from reading your bio or from maybe visiting your LinkedIn profile. So, we can't wait to hear. Welcome, my friend. Yes. Well, thank you so much. I am so happy to be here. I am recognizing a few of the names that are joining um, as people who do follow me. So that's always really great. I'm always very, very grateful that um, people respect the content and love following me and follow me and whatever it is I do. So thank you. And yes, I am on the West Coast <laughs> and um, it is early, but it's all good. Um, so very happy to be here. And one thing about me outside of the work that I do, or like a little fun fact, if you will, I don't, I don't know if it's a fun fact, but something I always like to share. I am a big nerd. Um, I'm a Trekkie. I love Star Trek. Actually, I have a filter on, obviously, but in the background is just Star Trek wall to wall. But I, didn't, I was like, I, you know, I didn't put that out there. That's okay. I was just like, I'll put this filter. But yeah, that's one thing about me. I, I, I love Star Trek. I love what it represents. And um, that's my that's my thing. So when I'm not doing this and advocating, I'm nerding out in my house. So that's that's one little thing about me. We love that Star Trek is your jam. And listen, yeah. at any time, Jessica, if you want to change that background, you're is safe with us. <laughs> we love people showing up authentic. And so you go for it if that feels appropriate. 
Um, no, thank you. Thank you so very much. Um, so you mentioned that some of the names are familiar to you. You do have an incredible following on LinkedIn and your mm -hmm. content is consistent. You are so authentic to who you are, what you stand for. And I really value that about you. I have shared with Jessica at the start of this conversation before we went live that I want her to co-create this experience with us. I want her to feel free to take the conversation wherever um, it leads and it feels most authentic. And so I want to start with the question kind of related to that. Mm -hmm. Your content is so clear and so consistent and you have a large following. So obviously there are a ton of people that value that and that love the way that you show up and love that you are um, taking bold risk with how in which you are expressing your thoughts and things that quite honestly need to be said. I would imagine that there may be a subset of people that are also like, really, Jessica, really, again, <laughs> you're going in really hard. Does it have to be this way all the time? And I just want to take a moment to kind of unpack that, because, again, I love the, the level of, of, of sincerity and clarity where you stand in your truth and your power, and that's how you show up. So how do you navigate maybe some of the, the naysayers yeah. along with those who are really um, proud of, of how you show up? So I will say, first of all, it has to be that way all the time. <laughs> you know, um, and it took it took a long time for me to find my voice. You know, when I first started posting content on LinkedIn, it was very sanitized. It was always just about career advice, and and that was it. And over time, um, I realized that that just isn't the reality of my experiences as a black woman in these spaces. And I also noticed that a lot of career advice that was being put out there was not geared towards the experiences and the realities of black people. And I was doing a disservice by not being honest. And so mm -hmm. that's, that's the shift came and I just started, you know, you know, still doing the advice and sharing, but through the context of a black woman who has had to deal with that. And I said that I would do a service to everyone if I am posting regularly, if I'm speaking in my own voice, if I'm clear and consistent about what it is that I'm putting out there. And I never had a problem with people who didn't like it or didn't agree with it. You know, I had a lot of pushback when I started speaking about race and start, you know, bringing in my experiences into the content. But I always say those people who rock with me and they understand that have been with me from the beginning. And everyone else, that's fine. You know, it's not for everybody. And I don't try to tailor my content for everybody. I'm speaking in a very clear voice. I'm speaking to a very specific group of people. And that's not to say that other like white people, Asians, whoever, don't find value. I actually have a following that's, to my surprise, pretty diverse. But at the core of it, my focus has always been Black people. And I am very intentional. I don't say people of color. I don't say BIPOC, which I can't stand that word. I say Black people, and that's just the way it is. I love that. Thank you. Keep showing up in your truth. Keep showing up as authentic as you do. I think that certainly people um, are, are, are trying to emulate that and model that because we have a lot of people that are masking and covering. And so I appreciate that about you. So let's get into your career. Specifically, I want to talk about free thinking HR professional. That is that is language that you have used to kind of talk about how in which you show up into that profession. So in your own words, can you tell us, Jessica, what does that mean to you that, you know, free thinking? HR professional, and why is it important for you to distinguish yourself in that way? 
Yeah, when I say free thinking, honestly, is free thinking HR, free thinking Black woman. I'm a free thinking person. You know, when I first got into my career, I had, and I, I'm very open about this, I had a very set way of seeing the world because that was the way I was brought up and that was the way that I thought things had to be. And so um, that, was, that was the way I presented myself. But again, over time, I realized that just because someone is saying that things have to be a certain way doesn't mean that they should be. And that it's okay to push against the status quo. It's okay to question things. It's okay to say, hey, look, this isn't right. Or, you know, my experiences are going to be different from yours because I don't navigate these spaces the same way. And especially as a Black woman, I think that's very important to speak that out loud. And so when I say that I am a free-thinking HR person, you know, or HR or professional, whatever it may be, that's really what it means is that, you know, I need to, you're saying it has to be this way, but I am very intentional about trying to think about things outside of the box, try to think about things from an equity point of view, just being very um, holistic and realistic in my thinking. And so that's what I mean in, in my context as what it means to be free thinking. No, I, I appreciate that. And so I want to I want to dig a little bit deeper because um, this this approach has worked well for you. And I'd say that because I know that you have um, matriculated into upward you know opportunities within your profession within the the workplace that you that you currently um, are affiliated with. And so um, I I'm curious about you know was that just from the beginning met with such great favor and and people in your organization were saying yes we want this you know we love the fact that you are very focused on a very specific audience in this broad context kind of HR and DEI um, and and did you experience the opposite of that maybe prior to being in the organization that you are with now? Yeah, so when I first started speaking and putting the content out there, like I said, it was very sanitized at first. And, you know, I, I was, I'm from Wisconsin. So if anyone's from the Midwest, there's a very different vibe and energy that is out there. Um, I'm originally from Wisconsin. And, um, you know, at first nobody cared because it was just career advice. You're just putting stuff out there, you know, it's not yeah. harming anybody. But again, back in 2016, like I always yeah. tell people, I created Blackness in the workplace because, you know, I was going through, I was going through a lot and I felt like, you know, why is this happening to me? And oftentimes I was the only black woman. I'm still am in a lot of these spaces. Yeah. And so when I started bringing in that the racial aspects and the social aspects that were happening to me, that's when, you know, managers, especially white women that I reported into, let's just be real. That's mm -hmm. when they had a problem because mm -hmm. now I'm speaking to something that they're not comfortable with. And yeah. so then it was, you know, hey, Jessica, I'm looking at your LinkedIn profile. You know, why are you, you know, why are you talking about race or Jessica, you know, you know, you know, all lives matter, you know, trying to all lives matter my content. <laughs> and I was, I was very intentional. I said, no, I, I have to speak about what it's like when you are in the workplace and you're dealing with, we call them microaggressions, but there's nothing micro yeah. about an aggression, but Absolutely. dealing with, you know, people asking me about my hair, me being passed up for opportunities, being overqualified for roles that I'm working in. And I'm working side by side with a white woman who has less qualifications, but she makes more money. I have to speak about, you know, the things that I'm seeing and experiencing because those are having um, real impacts on my life. And, I've always said that if you have a problem with my content, because all I speak about is equality at the core, it's all about treating right. people equally. If you have a problem with it, that says more about you than it does about me. So do you really yeah. want to be the one to have a problem with the content? And, and I realized that a lot of people don't want to be seen as racist. 
And you got a lot of white people who claim to be, you know, liberals. And you, I, I'm very clear about how I feel about them. And but you can't you can't say that you are about supporting black um, Black Lives Matter or whatever it is without supporting black voices. And you need to be comfortable with those voices that are are not always going to agree with you that are going to call you out or call out the systems that support you or that you support. And um, when I moved, I decided, you know, Wisconsin was not the place for me. Um, if anyone's from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> the city is very, <laughs> Milwaukee is very segregated. There was very little opportunities to move up and move around. You had managers and leaders who would go out and look on my profile or, you know, website, and then, you know, they didn't want to have anything to do with me. But I was okay with that because I'm like, this serves as a great filter because I don't want to work for anyone right. that's trying to mask my voice or, you know, have an issue with what I say. Um, I moved out to Seattle and I got the role because I was, I emailed my manager at the time. I said, hey, I'm, I'm interested in this position, but before we talk, I need you to go on my LinkedIn. I need you to read my post. I need you to go out on my website. I need you to know who I am because if this is not going to work for you, then you know, we don't need to talk. And, you know, the vibe out here in Seattle is a lot different, um, to yeah. be honest. And um, I have, since moving out here, that has not been the issue. If anything, I have a lot of coworkers <laughs> who follow me um, yeah. and who, who've been on my podcast, not been on, but listen to my podcast. So I, I, I just, you go where you are celebrated, not where you are tolerated. And that's what I did. Yes. No, where you are celebrated and not where you are tolerated. I, I love this. And I think you used the word filter a moment ago. And I love the boldness of naming. Here's what I want you to do before we further this conversation. Yeah. And I think that so many of us, we take the opposite approach. We will mask, we will cover, we will clean stuff up or sanitize it as you, you know, the word that you used. And then we'll get the position. And then it's like, okay, well, what's happening now? I've always been this way. And um, so I think that the upfront conversations, that's really bold of you. And I'm, I'm grateful that you are, you're modeling that for those who feel like they can't um, be as transparent. And so you reference your podcast, Blackness and the Workplace. So tell us about that. What inspired it? I mean, you've already started to share a little bit of that journey, but what kind of content can people expect? And um, and what are what are what's on the horizon for it in the future? Yeah. So um, again, I started Blackness in the Workplace in 2020, which was, as we all know, a very special year. <laughs> I'm, I'm using that term loosely. Um, but I was inspired. I had been on a few other podcasts, and um, one of the things that I noticed was that there wasn't a podcast that was just about Black people talking to other Black people about work. And that, you know, yeah. essentially that's what it was. And so um, I started my podcast, and it's it it has evolved. So initially, I was interviewing a lot of Black professionals because I wanted to educate people about employment law. Um, it was important for me to educate people about HR and, you know, the different aspects of that. Um, and then eventually over time, I was like, there's so much more that we can do. So I started um, doing a financial literacy series. I did a series nice. on um, helping um, Black professionals, young Black professionals navigate, you know, the workspace in ways that weren't, weren't given to me. So I really expanded it and wanted to make sure that I was targeting you know, black people in all areas of their lives, not just work, because we're we're not just one thing. We are a monolith. And interviewing, and I was always very 
I wanted to be very democratic with my podcast. So I didn't necessarily mm-hmm. need to interview like the biggest person. I you know, there's a lot of people who have really great content, really great experiences mm-hmm. who can speak. So um, I just, you know, if you have good information, if you're out here doing the work, I wanted to talk to you. And if you have resources, I wanted to talk to you. Um, another thing that's a big deal for me is that we don't just talk about the problems, we talk about the solutions. What solutions are you offering? You know, what ways do we, you know, address this issue instead of just talking about the problems all the time? So over time, the podcast developed into really just being a service the best way I could to to those who listen. And, you that's know, awesome. the future, oh, oh, sorry. I was going to say the future of the podcast, you know, since moving out here in Seattle, you know, my career has just blew up. Um, And, you know, life, as we all know, can be life in sometimes. So um, right now, I don't have any new episodes, but the podcast is still up there. I still get a lot of requests for the podcast. Um, I definitely do want to go back to it sometime this year, hopefully, and and do some more episodes. I I mean, I really enjoyed it. It's just, you know, a matter of time and trying to get, get those pieces. Awesome. So again, it's called Blackness in the Workplace. And so still some really good content out there. And, and maybe um, when things kind of lighten up for you, mm-hmm. um, you'll have some new content, some new guests. I love the fact that you don't necessarily just go after big names. It's just who are who are these ordinary people who are doing extraordinary things because they're living in their truth and they are, are really committed to their craft, their trade, their expertise, and um, and you know, providing providing that to the world in whatever capacity. And so I love that. We actually are going to place into the chat um, information so people can find your um, your podcast, Blackness in the Workplace. Um, so I want to talk about um, this, this strong self-advocacy role that you have um, and how that shows forth in your content and the way that you show up. I mean, you're, you are firmly steeped into the belief that we need to center the experiences Black people, Black women. And so I want to understand what are some of those coaching tips when you have folks to come to you to say, Jessica, here's my situation. I want to be as bold as you are. I want to be able to walk in my truth within the workplace and not have to mask or cover. What what are some of those tips that you share with individuals when they approach you with that question? Yeah, so that's a good question. I will say that it's taken years to, to get to this point. You know, it's been a lot of trial and error missteps and all that good stuff to to get to this point and I understand that everyone may not feel as comfortable as me they may not be in an environment where they can show up I mean I remember going to interviews where my hair was pressed and permed because we were raised to believe that something wrong was natural hair and my father used to tell me when you straighten your hair when you go to the interview when you get the job you can show up in braids and I used to do that and then eventually I was like this is why you know, you got, right. I got white coworkers with blue hair, like, and why can't I show up with my natural hair? And why, you know, and now I'm showing up to interviews either in a fro, because I didn't get my hair braided before the interview or in braids. And these, the people at my current job has never seen my natural hair. I just keep it in braids just for the sake of ease. <laughs> but um, that's who I am. That's my, that's part of my aesthetic. And I don't feel like I should have to compromise that. I always tell people, if my coworkers can show up with tattoos all over their body, I should be able to show up with my hair being braided. And that mindset has taken years, but I will say that it's very important to know who you are, to set boundaries, to um, communicate those boundaries, 
and to and, and make sure that you hold people accountable for when they're not respected. That goes a long way towards centering yourself to showing up to your showing up as your authentic self. Um, one caveat to that, though, you know, you have a lot of companies who will say that now. That's just kind of the buzzword, you know, show up as your authentic self. Yeah, yeah. Okay. but I push back against that because it's like, are you creating safe spaces for your black people, black okay. professionals, black employees to show up as who they are? You know, yeah, you know. But it, it takes time, and like I said, setting boundaries with yourself and making sure that you're communicating those boundaries and holding people accountable will help you in terms of maintaining your sanity in these spaces and also um, having the interactions that you need, that you want. Yeah, no, absolutely. You, you are in a fortunate um, predicament. And Jessica, I'm sure you know that because there are so many people, particularly Black women, who find themselves um, challenged by the work environment and they don't feel like they can show up as themselves. They don't feel like they are, they're valued. They're seeing that they're heard. And so I'm sure that some folks are listening on and whether it's today or whether it's catching the replay or the podcast and they are going to be inspired by what you're sharing, that there are some workplaces and some geographies and some situations where um, we can thrive and we can establish those boundaries without feeling like it's going to threaten our livelihood within that work environment. So how can someone genuinely, and I, I amplify that word, own their career and, and not leave their growth and development to their managers, because a lot of our upward mobility opportunities, it has a lot to do with those manager, you know, employee kind of relationships. And I believe that sometimes we feel like we are not empowered to also help shape that. So what, what can we do as individuals to help ensure that we aren't leaving, you know, stifling our growth and our development within a workplace? Yeah, so I will say, that you know, the first thing you have to realize is that it is your career and that you own it and that your manager or leader, I'll just use the word manager, mm-hmm. doesn't own anything. You know, mm-hmm. so is it that is the first thing that you have to realize, you know. And for me, like I said, I this took years to understand because I used to put my development and my growth into the hands of my manager. And that yeah. never served me well. But when you realize that it is your career, this is who you are, this is your brand, and you take that wherever you go, that right there creates that shift that you need. Now, I will say, too, that having a, a good relationship with your manager, it doesn't mean you have to be buddy buddies or anything like that, mm-hmm. but having a good relationship with your manager goes a long way to helping you achieve your goals. So one of the first things that I always do is that when I'm linking up with a new manager is to have a conversation with him or her about who I am first as a person because I'm a human being and making sure that they understand that these are the things that are important to me. And that, you know, as a black woman navigating these spaces, oftentimes there is gonna be challenges that I'm gonna run into. Um, Also talking with them about, you know, what my career goals are. It's very yeah. important to talk to them about, okay, these are the things that I'm looking to do. You're not asking permission. I just want to put that out there. We, mm-hmm. we all are too grown for that. No one's asking anyone's permission. You're saying, look, in two years or three years, I want to, I'm looking for a promotion or I want to move to this team in so many years. I want to go back to school, whatever it may be. You just want to make sure that you are having a clear um, talk with your manager about what your goals and expectations are. And then from that conversation, you want to make sure that, you're getting a sense of what it is that your manager 
is able to do for you. You know, they're able to provide resources and opportunities, whether it's putting you on projects or connecting you with someone. You want to get a sense of that early on. And if you have a manager who um, is open to that conversation mm -hmm. and who is open to helping you, they may not have it, but they may know someone. If they're willing to help you develop you, then that's 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 what you want, right? But oftentimes I've found, I've, and I had this prior to, you know, moving out here is that managers mm -hmm. would get very intimidated when you say what you're looking for and what your expectations are. Mm -hmm. Managers who would try to hold you back, um, you know, managers that you have to pull teeth from essentially to get them to talk to you. Those are red flags. And so when you mm -hmm. see that, that's when you need to start making decisions on, you know, do I need to be here? And honestly, the answer is no. You know, a, a good manager is not intimidated. I had one manager tell me that a sign of a good manager is if his employees sort of leave the nest and they move on to bigger and better things um, because, you know, they were supported in doing that. So you want to be very assertive and clear about what it is that you want. I believe that wholeheartedly, you know, when you think about what is my success as a leader, what is my success as a manager is to develop your people to where mm -hmm. they are um, kind of leaving the nest to use your language. And so if someone is in a, a position that no longer serves them because maybe they don't have, maybe they've tried some of these practical strategies and tactics that you just shared and they are not being met with the support from their manager or their leader, um, you know, one one solution would be to leave. One solution would be to try to stay and tolerate it. But both of those come with some consequences, some pros and some cons. And so what what normally do you share with someone when they are um, seeking advice around such a situation? So, you know, I always tell people at the end of the day, you have to do what's best for you. Not everyone can jump ship. Not everyone can quit a job. You know, everyone's situation is different. So I just, I want to always be respectful sure. of the situations that folks are in. However, always tell people, you should always be networking. You should mm -hmm. always be interviewing. You should always keep your eyes open for your next opportunity. Even if you are in a role that's giving you everything that you need, you just always want to just keep an eye out. Um, you don't want to stay anywhere um, in any position that's no longer serving you. Um, you want to you want to be able to get out of that as soon as possible because all that's going to do is hold you back. Um, I've been in positions where I, you know, I wasn't getting on with the manager or I felt like, you know, hey, I actually can do this job better than the manager. And I've never been one, I've never been afraid to communicate to my leaders, these are the things that I'm looking for. And then if I'm not getting that, then I have to move on because a job is, is, is a two-way street. You're, you're paying me to do the job, but at the same time, if this is no longer serving me, I got to go. Yeah. And um, you always want to have an exit strategy planned out. You always want to just know, okay, this role doesn't work out. What are my other options? And try to give yourself as many options as possible, but don't feel like you have to stay longer than you need to in a role or a company or other managers as long as serving you, because you do have yeah. options. We do have options. No, that's great. You referenced something a moment ago as we were talking about the success of a, of a leader is having people falling under their report who are able to kind of get out of the nest and, and have all these other opportunities. And there is a phenomenon out there that relates to uh, minority professionals called pet to threat. Mm 
Mm -hmm. Right. And so if this community is not familiar with it, I, I encourage someone on my team to just do a quick search and maybe place an article for reference into the chat. But I bring that up because I do believe that oftentimes that is the challenge, particularly black women are faced with in organizations. So from your vantage point, Jessica, has there ever been a time that you or maybe a colleague that you know of, maybe that you've been in a community with or coaching and supporting surpassed their manager in like career hierarchy. How did um, you or that colleague navigate that? What does that look like for someone who may find themselves in that predicament? Um, and I would imagine that if that happens, it's probably not necessarily because the manager has been able to um, provide that open door. I mean, maybe so, but again, we know the challenges oftentimes that exist within the workplace, particularly around um, Black women. Yeah, so I actually interviewed um, a while back on my podcast. Her name is Erica Stallings, and she wrote an article about the pet, the threat. And I read it, and I was just so inspired by it. And it was a graphic that was trending on LinkedIn about the pet, the threat, you know, the path of the woman of color in the workplace and at her exit. And, I mean, those things spoke to me so much. And um, I have experienced that. So you come into an organization, and things are good for a while, you know what I'm saying? Like everything is working out and you're getting in, you're learning your role, you're learning the people. But over time, as what happens is that you're starting to notice some issues, you know, some, yeah. some you're, you're noticing that you're being treated different or you may, you're not getting what you need and you start to bring those issues up. Uh, oftentimes I tell people, and this is true, uh, white mediocrity in the workplace is rampant. And so all the black women that I've interviewed on my podcast, all the black women, professional black women that I know, and even black men, oftentimes are overqualified for the roles that they get. And the reason for that is because we are not given grace. So when I when I mean yeah. by that is that you can see white people get hired for positions where they're not qualified for because hey, we'll we're pouring to them, we'll support them, we'll nurture them, we'll let them grow, and that's good. But Black people aren't given that. So as a consequence, you will, you will have Black women who have all these degrees and have, have a ton of experience working side by side with white colleagues or what have you who don't even measure up. And so when you go into these spaces, very quickly, they realize that you have more education, you have more experience than they do, and they get threatened by that. And that's where that threat comes in. Now you're yeah. now you're asserting yourself. You're saying, "Hey, this isn't right," and you're able to back it up with with receipts, and they don't like that. And so then you start finding yourself tripping into what I call corporate minefields, and that's what was happening to me. People were kind of you know picking out my tone. People say, "Well, your your tone is a little off putting, whether it's because I'm direct or in my emails I'm direct, whatever it may be." It was it, it starts getting petty. Um, you start finding the hurdles getting bigger and bigger, and eventually you you leave. You either leave voluntarily, or you find yourself being fired or laid off or whatever it may be. But that pet to threat reality is real, and I've I've experienced that quite a bit, especially when I was working under um, white women who did not have the same level of experience as I do. And because they were threatened and they were put off by that. You know, I had one, I was going a few years ago, I was going for my PHR certification, professional mm -hmm. human resources certification. Um, and that's a very hard cert to get. And 
don't know. Mm-hmm. And my coworker, a white woman, she was also going for that certification. And you, more people failed on their first time on this cert. Yeah. They passed. And she kept talking about how hard it was for her to get it because she, she took it a few times that she had failed. And I took it the first time I passed it. I didn't think it was as hard as people made it out to be. But even with that and other things that I had done, I was still running behind her because she was making more money. She was given more opportunities. And when she realized that I had a lot more experience than her, she was put off by that. I remember she tried to be, she wanted to be my mentor. And I'm like, who are, no. She, I was like, she was like, I want to mentor you. I was like, I don't want to be mentored by you. I, I have more education than you. I have more experience. And I told her that, as, as, you know, you know, <laughs> I tend to be very straightforward. Like, like, no, I don't want you mentoring me. Why? Let me mentor you. So they, they get very threatened by that because of their sense of superiority. And, and, and that is what trips up a lot of Black people in the workplace. Mm-hmm. Th- thank you. Thank real. you for making it plain. <laughs> no, I, that's again, that realness is, I, I think is so refreshing. So thank you so much. Um, so I just want to let the audience know that we're going to shift momentarily to take your questions, your commentary, and you can let us know that you're willing to do that by using the raise hand feature in Zoom. And um, that will indicate to me that you're willing for me to call upon you to invite you to unmute yourself. We'll spotlight you and let you share your, your question or comment. Um, or if you have a question and you just want to present it by placing it into the chat, We'll make sure we bring that to the conversation as well. I'm going to ask one more question just to give you time to percolate maybe on what um, curiosities are coming up for you that you want to present to Jessica. I want to stay here a little bit on the corporate minefields because you did reference and you gave us great example, but I want you to maybe think about some other corporate minefields that we have to be aware of and give us some additional tips for how to navigate them. Yeah, I, you know, so I talk about the tone and the email and, you know, the, some of the petty stuff. I think another um, minefield that catches a lot of us, and this kind of goes back to what I was talking about in terms of grace. And so um, in the workplace, there is a fear and I, that a lot of us have because of making mistakes, Yeah, you know, making mistakes at work. Yeah, Mistakes happen and mistakes are a great way for you to learn and grow from. I have experienced this and I've seen this more times than I care to, to um, count, but I've seen my white coworkers make mistakes, like terrible mistakes, <laughs> mistakes that's costing the company a ton of money. But, you know, they're given that grace, you know, hey, they made a mistake. We'll, we'll train, we'll course correct, and we'll make sure that doesn't happen again. They're given opportunities to make mistakes and to grow from them, to learn and then to level up. Oftentimes as black people, we're not given that. We already, we're not hired. We're, I, I, used, I posted this before, well, white people are hired based on potential and black people are hired based on experience and therein lies the problem. So right. again, you know, white people are often hired and their qualifications aren't really, you know, it's all right, but they're given resources to develop and grow. Whereas we are not, we're expected to come in and already notice. And so the, the minefield happens where we see that. We say, okay, well, they was given an opportunity to make a mistake. I can't do that. And so it's a real fear of taking on projects or taking on new challenges because if we mess up, are we going to be given that grace? Are we going to be allowed to make that mistake, learn from it, course correct and move on? Or are we going to get demoted? Or are we going to get fired? Are we going to be hit with the stigma and never given another opportunity again? And those things happen. And so you have a lot of um, a lot of us who are just like, 
I don't want to take on anything new. And that stunts us because you, you don't you don't grow in that way. So that's a huge, huge minefield that catches many of us um, out there because it is so it's real and it's so rampant throughout the workplace. And it's a lot of like, and I, I was at a leader conference. I did a leadership program um, a few months ago and I, there was a, a gentleman that was speaking about his career journey and he was a white man and he was talking about all, all the mistakes that he had made. And he was at one point on the verge of being fired because his manager was like, you're not getting this role. You're not, you're not getting it. You're not, you're not, you're not working out. And he learned from that. And I was thinking, well, I know I wouldn't be given the courtesy of a manager coming to me and saying, hey, Justin, you're struggling here. You're, you're on the verge of being like, go, let's, let's, let's course correct. Let's develop you. Let's grow. No, no, no. Mm-hmm. I would have been pulled into the office and been like, you're fired. Yeah. And just, just a quick pivot into this really quick. I did a series on my podcast um, about PIPs for um performance improvement plans, which mm-hmm. you, if you ever get put on, you pretty much have lost your job. And so um, I interviewed um, this woman who wrote an article about PIPs and the threat to Black professionals and how a lot of Black people in the workplace, they get put on PIPs really quick um, when they when companies want to let them go. And when I opened it up and started interviewing a lot of different Black people, I had a lot of people from all over wanting to be on the podcast, but you know, you can't do everybody. But the common theme when I was talking to all of them was that they their manager would never develop them, never have like a one-on-one meeting, never like a development meeting, wouldn't do anything with them. And then as soon as they make a mistake or is perceived to have made a mistake, the manager is very quick to want to let them go. So that is a big minefield. That's a huge issue that we deal with. No, those are, those are two great examples. It's yeah. I am not a fan of pips for that very reason as well. You know, I'm not a fan. And I realize that there's a lot of, um, you know, folks from a a legal compliance perspective will lead you to always have that as your solution. But I feel like it hurts, um, especially a lot of minority professionals in the workplace. And so thank you for bringing that to the conversation. So we do have a hand raised, um, Renita Crawford. Uh, thank you for joining us, Renita. I want to acknowledge you and give you a chance to unmute yourself and to share with the audience. Sure, thank you so much. Thank you ladies for this invaluable advice. It's, it's excellent. I have a comment and then a question. I don't think we will see significant change in our lifetimes in the workplace. So I've learned how to be a chameleon. Not ideal, but I consider it an art. And I also teach and tell my daughters the obstacles that they will face throughout their career. But I have equipped them with tangible advice to maneuver and play this power game without without detection. Mm. That is how I have made career leaps. But imagine, I have people say, oh, Renita, you're so successful. And I say, "But but imagine where I would be if I had not been subjected to racism and discrimination in the workplace. So, and and one book I've recommended to my daughters um, is The 48 Laws of Power. But I wondered, or my question is, do you recommend playing that kind of game? Because I do think there are so many landmines. And I have, I have, throughout my careers, been the only one in the C-suite, the only one in the room. But I think it's because I've, I figured out how to navigate those landmines. So is that something you recommend? And if so, why? And if not, why? 
Manita, before Jessica answers that question, I want to make sure this audience captures um, the book that you referenced. Uh, I think I heard you say 48 Laws of Power. Yes, the 48 Laws of Power by Robert Greene. Okay, great. We're going to place that into the chat, Jessica. <laughs> okay, um, that's a very good question. And I think the answer is very complicated. So go with me on this journey. <laughs> so this is how I feel. I feel like I have had to, for the sake of peace, some, sometimes be that chameleon in certain spaces, you know, because I'm trying to get paid, I'm trying to do what I got to do. So I understand that. And I also understand that everybody doesn't have the luxury of being at a company or a manager who has been as open as mine and to who I am and all that good stuff. So I get that. Uh, so I totally understand that. And I've also said before, like, I really don't like the idea that companies have been pushing the, um, you know, bring your whole self to work. I think they're, you know, off the back of the George Floyd, I think there was this weird attempt that companies had to try to be inclusive, but they went about it the wrong way. You can't ask Black people to come and bring their whole selves into a workplace that you have not provided safety for. And even to this day, I feel like there's there's still things that I don't say or that I don't do in the workplace just because I feel like there should be a balance. I don't have a problem with people who say this is my professional life and this this is my personal life. And, you know, the way I talk or act, I'm not going to do because I to you know, I understand that because that is still a barrier that I maintain. So it is it is hard. It is tricky. Um, it's, it's just a complicated question and you yes. have to kind of look at your own experiences and kind of see what you need to do to get to where you are. Um, because that's what I did. You know, when I was living in Wisconsin, I was very unhappy because I felt like for me anyway, I was compromising too much of myself for these in these spaces that weren't doing anything for me. I was being asked to bite my tongue when I was dealing with somebody um, who was being racist to me. I had a manager who just didn't, who had a lot of racial um, animosity towards me. And I'm like, why am I still here? These spaces aren't nurturing for me. And so I left. And I know that that's a privilege that everybody doesn't get to have. You know, everybody just can't pack up and leave. You know, I'm single, I don't have any kids. So I was like, I'm bouncing, I'm out. So, um, and I moved to a space where I felt like I was much more, I can be much more open about who I am and how I navigate. So it, I mean, for me, it's such a loaded question because it really depends on, you know, your situation and what you're trying to do and where you are. It, it just depends on so many different factors. I agree, Jessica. That is, is a great question, but it is very loaded, very, very complex. There's not a one size universal answer. And Renita, I do appreciate you bringing that to the conversation. Um, I, I will add that I also think that it's very circumstantial. It's very situational. It depends on so many different dynamics, the power dynamics. It depends on what's like the historical kind of relation, relational interactions with the people that are involved. Do you already have like a, a pretty solid bank account of deposits that have been built up to where if you if this is a risk that you're willing to take and it's going to be a withdrawal that it won't you know really um damage you know or, or consequences that you can't undo it's so much so much and so um but it's definitely something that I encourage all of us to begin to think about. What is our own individual appetite for when we find ourselves against the wall in those tough situations? How far are we willing to go? We need to now 
um, position ourselves to have tools and resources in our toolbox so that if we are met with these situations, we aren't caught off guard. And so I love the fact that you brought a resource, Renita. And um, I invite this community that if we think about this broad, complicated question, if there's certain things or resources that come up for you, please place them in the chat for the benefit of this larger community. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, um, any other questions at this time? If so, again, use the raise hand feature, let us know so we can um, hot spotlight you and let you to present your question or comments. I'm not seeing any immediately right now, so I'm gonna go to my next question um, while you continue to think on, again, those curiosities that could be coming up. So you are in HR, Jessica, and I'm sure you are keenly aware of the big conversation right now that's happening around the intersection of HR and DEI, how they should play in the sandbox together, how they shouldn't even be in the sandbox, how, I mean, there's so many criticisms and just, you know, opinions that are surfacing. And I I would just love to hear from you as to what are your thoughts on how this body of work should um, be integrated and or should maybe have its own separate path as well. And, and Kwabana, I see your hand. I'm going to come to you next. Yeah. Um, so it's funny because a lot of people say that I'm a DEI professional and I'm not. I don't, I don't work in DEI, I work in HR. And I have intentionally stayed away from corporate guy. Um, you know, I'm, you know, I am part of the, what we call BRGs, employee resource groups or what have mm -hmm. you, but um, it's not, not my career for many reasons. Mm -hmm. I don't really believe a lot of companies are true to the mission of DEI. And, you know, you're, you're looking at now a lot of DEI professionals being laid off now that George Floyd mm -hmm. and all that's calmed down. And it's always to me just kind of this weird game and I just have never been willing to be a part of it. Um, I will say that I don't believe that DEI should report to HR because HR can be very problematic and very toxic. Um, and a lot, a lot of what I talk about are some of the issues that HR has when it comes to diversity and equity and inclusion. You know, yeah. HR for those, just for clarity, I just want people to understand that HR exists to protect the company company to make sure that the company is okay that doesn't align with the work that DEI does so DEI and HR can be parallel to some yeah. extent but DEI should not be recording into HR they really shouldn't touch each other in that way um, you know oftentimes when people have issues you know I've had people say you know I'm a, I have a problem and I need to talk to HR I always tell people HR is there to protect the company and that may or may not include protecting you. It just depends on the situation. So just, just be careful. But no, DEI needs to exist very separately from HR. Work together, be parallel, but no way should they report into each other. HR is just too toxic. You said it, not me, but I absolutely agree. We've talked about this several times on this show. And so thank you so much. Okay, Pavna, welcome. Good to see you, my friend. What is your question or comment? Likewise, good morning, everybody. Thank you for having a, yet another fantastic guest, Dr. Mika. Um, so first, Jessica, representing from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. So uh, glad to see you go, but unfortunately, in, uh, in a great state. That being said, um, as you talk about experiences in the workplace and, and Blackness in the workplace, like, Oftentimes, as you as you talked about that, you know, black the black experience is multifaceted. So many different ways to be black. Can you talk about a time when you yourself 
or you've seen where um, black professionals are being oppressed um, and subject to classes, stereotypes, and all those things, like other black professionals. More specifically, how you have either as an HR professional who, to your point, you're not in DNA, which I think, side note, the most evolved DNA programming is going to be you in the business, just in the back But if you can share how you've seen people manage those relationships, manage those situations when they were, where they're being microaggressed and challenged by the person, their own cultural. Um, so the question was, is, is my experience as a Black woman dealing with microaggressions or other messy situations from other Black people? So personally, I've never experienced that because oftentimes I was the only one in the spaces that I were in and the other Black women who worked at my company company, like for example, I, I was working on the corporate side of things. So in Wisconsin, you know, we have a lot of manufacturing, as you know. And so other black women that, that I that were at my company was working on the production floor. So they couldn't be in a position to really do anything. Um, so that has not been my personal experience, but I know that that has been the experience of other um, black women and black men, unfortunately. And I think a lot of it stems to the idea that there can be quote unquote only one. And so when um, other black people come into these spaces, you have folks, other black folks who've been in these roles for a long time and they feel threatened or they feel like, you know, if you do something, you're going to make me look bad. You know what I'm saying? Like mm. that, that goes um, what, we, what we call representation politics. And yeah. so it creates an even more complicated, even, even more messier situation. It is unfortunate, but it is a reality. Um, but for me, you know, I haven't seen that, but I know that from like a few people that I've talked to, they got it a lot from older Black people, especially older Black women who mindset about the workplace may be, may be very different and may be very traditional. And so how do you navigate that is, is difficult because it hurts. It hurts. To me, it hurts even more when it comes from your own. When someone is telling you, when it's someone who looks like you, who's trying to hold you back or trying to get in your way of progress because they feel like I, I can't let this job go or you know I can't have you taking my spot. And what people don't understand is one, there's room for everybody. And two, you are liable to get fired and let go just as fast as anybody else. You know, you're not, you're not um, special just because you buddy buddy with, um, you know, your manager. I've had, I, I knew a woman like that at a former company that I worked at. She, a black woman who thought that she was special because she was friends with some of the folks in HR and when time came, she was let go just as much as anybody else. So, <laughs> you know, it's just, it's an unfortunate reality. We, you know, we get it from all sides. Yeah, it's a scarcity mindset. I, I agree yeah. with everything that you said. Representation politics is real. Thank you, Pavana, for your question. I want to try to sneak one more in. And Nika Cruz has been um, patiently waiting with her hand up. And so, um, Nika, thanks for joining us for today. I hope I pronounced your name correctly. I'm going to um, add you to the spotlight um, if you'd like. Well, actually, I don't see that your camera's on, so I'm going to respect that you um, may not want to be spotlighted, but certainly unmute yourself and share. 
Hello, thank you so much, uh, Jessica. I love you. I just want to quickly um, talk about the situation at my last company. We were at an all hands meeting and a white woman who I outranked um, admitted in front of our department that she felt threatened by me. And this was a woman over like the course of five months who had been extremely rude and unprofessional to me. And I had brought it to the attention of my manager and even the CEO because I had a, a, a biweekly meeting with him. And at the all hands, after she said it, instead of like validating my feelings, what happened was she got praise and recognition for being transparent. And I was really angry, but it was a work event and I was presenting and I was over a department. So I wanted to know any advice you have about how I could have appropriately addressed that situation, because I know it won't be the last time, you know, what was the way that I could have responded, because I've really been feeling bad about the fact that I remained silent, even though I was kind of fuming inside, mm -hmm. so open to any kind of advice. So I just, they stay pressed. I mean, they they do. They they stay pressed. They stay wanting to be offended. It's really irritating because I myself have dealt with that where I had a coworker, a white woman who felt like I was threatening her because I was very direct with her about something that had happened. And she reported me to our manager and manager brought me in. And I, you know, I explained what happened. You know, it's kind of, it's so hard to even answer that. You know, sometimes you have to kind of look at the situation and kind of determine, you know, what battles you want to fight. But if someone is saying at work that they feel threatened by you, she's saying that intentionally with the hopes of you getting either, you know, getting punished some way, even being let go. So um, I definitely would talk to my manager about that, you know, bring her in and, and, and ask what ways do you feel threatened? Like, why do you feel threatened? And, and have her explain that because you just can't say that I feel threatened without being able to explain that without being able to even prove that and listen to what she's saying. And oftentimes when it comes to black women or just, you know, black people, we get accused of being, you know, threatening just because we're either louder or we're more direct or even because they don't like the idea that you are above them or that you're telling them to do something because of their sense of superiority. So I definitely will have a conversation. Make sure you document it. You know, that's a whole nother <laughs> conversation, but make sure you document your interactions with this woman moving forward so that if it ever escalates, you have proof of how you've been interacting and talking to her. That's so good. Thank you so much, Nika, for your question. Thank you so much, Jessica, for being here. I'm going to, I'm going to say this. I'm going to say this. Um, a white woman stating to other leaders or other peers in an organization that she is feeling threatened by a black woman to me is akin to a white woman calling the police yeah. on a black man. That's the corporate version of it. And I'm just going to end on that. Thank you so much, Jessica. Thank you to this community. I hope that you all have enjoyed this conversation and that you will join us again in future weeks for Intentional Conversations podcast. Thank you all. Thank you.